We have been in this Psalm 119 now for a little while. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. If you don't, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one. I'd love for you to read through it. So if you want to just do it on your electronic device, that's fine too. Um, We've been working through this Psalm uh, 119 now for a few weeks. And we also have encouraged you guys as we went through this to to join us in some reading of the scriptures. And so we have the, the plan up here for you. Um, we asked you to either consider through the time of us going through Psalm 119, finishing the entire book of Psalms, or um, finishing Psalm 119 and doing that. And our, our, again, our hope and our goal in this wasn't just to get you guys to be busy, but our desire was that as we've began the beginning of the year, saying that this is a year that God is, we're call, God is calling us to mature in our journey, whether it's it, whatever way it may be. One of the ways that I felt like the Lord was really pressing on me and others is that Our understanding and our love for God's word is a huge, intricate part to our maturity journey. And so my hope is that over this time, you haven't just gone through the motions, but that you've actually been in this psalm and you've been in this book of Psalms and you've just started to find yourself wanting it and desiring to be in it more as opposed to just feeling like you need to check off a list. And so we share that that list that you saw on our Facebook every single week. If you want to jump in late, you're welcome to as well. We're going to read this psalm real quickly, but before we do that, I want to talk about a word that I think... Uh, there's, there are certain words culturally that we use that have in and of themselves no real evil intent or, or malice or struggle with it. But when you take the way that we circumstantially believe and utilize that word in the world, and then you put it to the scriptures, there can be a really big difference. And the word that I'm going to talk about today, actually we see that where circumstantially, I think probably every single one of us may even use this word on a weekly basis. But the way that you and I use it on a weekly basis in our everyday lives and the way that we believe it plays out and how it plays out is actually in opposition to what the scriptures say about this very word. And that word, that word is hope. Most of us have said, I hope. I hope for um, BSU to win the game. That was a lost hope, right? You know, I hope, I hope for um, my car to make it home because it's kind of bad. Or I hope to be married someday. I hope that this um, sandwich, I don't pay for it later on in the day. Like, I hope we use hope from a very simple, pointless way to a very big way, or I hope that I can beat this illness, or I hope that I'm, I'm not single for the rest of my life, or I hope that I can experience um, some goodness in this relationship or whatever it may be. We use that word hope all the time. The problem is, is that the way English dictionary would say and define this word is that it's, it's something that, that we're wanting that's uncertain. It's something that we desire that is uncertain. In fact, an antonym for hope, and this is interesting, we'll talk about it more in a second. One of the antonyms for hope is fear. And so we, as a, as a whole, we hope in things that are completely uncertain. And yes, we may be able to say, okay, well, I hope for a good grade. So because of that hope, I decide to actually study some. Or I hope, you know, to be in a relationship with someone, so I've decided to bathe more than once a month. Like, you can make, you can make steps or t- choices along the way, but a lot of time what that does, that takes that hope and makes it more of a goal. Something that's achievable by ourselves. Something that if I do the right th- circumstance of things, I'll gain this hope. I'll have this thing. And so the problem is that most of us, we operate on a day-to-day basis with hope as that we are to hope in something completely uncertain. Maybe it's not a 50-50, maybe it's a 60-40, whatever it may be, but ultimately we know at the end of the day, even though we hope for something, even though they may be projected to win by 20 points, they're still going to lose by 23, right? Like there's still that that loose cannon. We never know what may happen. But ultimately what we realize is that if we apply that understanding of hope to scriptures, we're in a really, really tough spot. 
And so, if you, again, like I said, turn with me to Psalm 119. We're going to read verses 49 through 56 and then 121 through 128. Again, we're doing a, an interesting structure on how we did this. You'd have to go back to the beginning. We don't have time to cover that. But verse 49 starts this way. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. There's that word. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The, instantly, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. I want to know how many people have actually uttered that sentence in their life, but that's, sorry, that was free. Okay, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And then on to verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. And what we see in this, in this scripture is we see a number of different things that we could pull out. And again, like we've said since the beginning, that this set of us going through the Psalm 119 is going to feel a bit repetitive because it's the entire book of Psalm 119 or the entire chapter of Psalm 119 talks about God's word in every verse but like six. And so we see this, this theme going through it over and over and over again. And one of the themes that I saw come out of these two stanzas, these two sections of eight verses, is, is this idea of hope. What, is, what do we see about hope? And when confronted on our own personal lives, see, so many of us right now, we're in really hard situations. And if you're not in one, you've experienced one. But because of the circumstances, because of the way the things are lined up around you, you find yourself clamoring or holding on to that word hope as if it's a lost, like, twinkly little pixie dust thing that you can hope that someday may happen, but it's a lost cause to you. Your hope is, is, is down and down and down because you're like, I can't, I can't take myself from the truth of the circumstances around me. And you find yourself really wrestling as to what hope means because of our understanding of hope being in something uncertain. The scriptures, we see a drastically different definition for hope. In fact, we see it, we see it here in, in all over scripture. One of the things we see is in Psalm 42.5, we see this, this, the author saying, why are, you, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, we see this, we see this what most of us could understand. Why are you so downcast? Why am I struggling so much? Why am I fighting depression? What is the, the hardships that are in place? And we see him turn that says, no, my, my, my answer isn't, isn't in my circumstances. My answer is in my hope in God. And the reason why hope in God is different than hope that we use across the board for every other thing is because God actually has promises for us. See, when we hope in God, we're not hoping in a God that may show up and do something, we're hoping in a God that has already shown up and done something magnificent. See, ordinarily, when we use the word hope, we express uncertainty rather than certainty. I wrote it this way. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. 
said this way, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, but is confident that it will happen. See, when we look at hope across Scripture, we don't hope in an uncertainty. We don't hope in something that may or may not happen. We hope as if it is going to happen. We hope as if it has already happened. Our hope is in Him. Our hope is in the fact that He has already sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to do what He came to do. And we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you and I hope in finding a relationship, there's uncertainty in that. When you and I hope that we will, we will find peace in the relationship we have, there's uncertainty in that. But when we hope in God, we, we hope in certainty. We hope with expectation. Not that it won't or will happen. We hope with expectation that it is going to happen. We just pray for when. It's a very, very different thing. Hope in the Word of God because of the promises we hear from the Word of God. See, promises like you'll never perish in Christ. Promises like you will finish, He will finish the work He began in us. Promises like His yoke is light. Promises like we are co-heirs with Christ. See, if you are in Jesus Christ, those are promises for you. So when you find yourself in a spot of, of seeming abandonment and, and seeming like you're all alone, you can come back to the truth, the promise of God's words, that He will never leave nor forsake you. I can understand that maybe your circumstances can be lonely. But just in case you're wondering, if you could have every single person in the world with you or the Lord, I still think the Lord wins. So if all you seemingly have in that moment is the Lord, you've won. See, our hope isn't in people. Our hope isn't in some future circumstance. Our hope isn't in finding that right job down the road or planning it out accordingly to our circumstances. Our hope is in God. And the instant, the instant, let me say this, this is very clear, as clearly as I can, the instant we stop hoping in God and we start hoping in circumstances, that's when fear creeps in. The instant I take my eyes off of the Lord and his promises, then I start looking at the circumstances around me and I start seeing fear and disdain. It's, it, it's interesting. If you look at all the antonyms to, to hope, it's all negative stuff. We, see, we see, start seeing those things seep into our lives. We, when we were teaching through the book of Matthew, you know, it took two decades for us to get through it. When we were teaching through it, um, I hit this story. We went to the story of Jesus walking on water. And one of the things that I continually go back to that's perplexing to me is that if you remember it right, they're like nine hours in rowing for a mile, okay? It doesn't make sense. They've been fighting the storm forever. And at that moment when they, fi they figure out that it's Jesus calling on them, Peter does the most ludicrous thing ever. He says, if it's you, Lord, let me walk out to you. And Jesus says, come. So he jumps out in the water. And Peter does what no one did before and no one's done since, walks on water to the Lord. Well, in that moment, if you can just take that story into context to just a chapter or two before that, when Jesus is snoozing through a storm on that very lake, and he's like, he's out. He's sawing logs. He's sleeping better than most of our kids sleep, right? And the boat's tossing and everything's going like this. And the disciples wake him up. And he's like, okay. Stop and the storm goes away. But he doesn't stop the storm in this time. He doesn't, he doesn't pause the storm as the disciples have been clamoring for life for nine hours. Seasoned fishermen clamoring for life for nine hours, right? He doesn't stop. Instead, he goes out to them on the storm. Peter starts walking. Then what happens? We know the story, right? It's Peter. It's like a train wreck. It's either good or bad. You never know what you're going to get. Right? In a moment, Peter does what? He takes his eyes off the Lord, and he starts acknowledging. It says he saw the wind, which you, you don't really see the wind, but he said, it says he saw the wind. He started looking at his circumstances. He took his eyes off the Lord, and what did he do? He started sinking, and then he utters the very thing that they should have said nine hours earlier. 
Lord, save me. And in an instant, Jesus saves them. They're on the ground, and the, and the storm goes away. The, the, the point of that story is obvious that that's the first time right after that the disciples acknowledge him as the Son of God. But see, the point for us is a lot of times if we take our hope and our life and our vision and we put it on all these other things, we may miss what God is actually trying to do for us in the storm, which is bring rightful worship of him. If we start fixating on the, there's too much going on, I can't handle it, this is just way ridiculous. And some of you, that's true, there is too much going on. You need to set some healthy boundaries. But the reality is, your circumstances, you can't control everything. You can't control really anything if you think about it. We get so fixated on our hope being that these circumstances, these things will go as planned, that we take our eyes off the founder and perfecter of our faith and we start to sink. And that's when fear sets in. Fear sets in when we lack hope. And the reason why you and I lack hope is because we believe hope is something in uncertain things. The, the author is very clear. He says he doesn't hope in the uncertainty of God. It's I hope in God. I hope in God. We see in, in Romans 10, 17, um, he's talking a portion of part of faith. Faith and hope are kind of overlapping. I feel like Hope is faith in the future tense kind of idea. So um, you see in Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This implies that hope like faith is also strengthened by what? By the word of God. And we have been on repeat for the last eight weeks about this. But for those of you right now, if you are not in God's word, if you do not know God's word, if, you do, if you're just resting on some distant knowledge you had had because you were in God's word at one point, you are at dangerously close to walking without hope. Because what will happen is when you're not grounded in God's word, you're going to experience in these circumstances and these things are going to come to your life. And instead of pushing them through the promises of God's word, you're going to push them through your experiential truth and you're going to get lost. And you're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to start finding yourself without hope. Or you're going to find yourself, which I, I mean, honestly, the way that we hope outside of scripture, I think is just kind of wishing. It's not really hope the way that the Bible describes it. Because again, the Bible describes it very clearly. Hope is certain. God has and will do these things. It's just when. You know, he, he, he promises to, to finish the work he began in us. You know what that may mean? That may mean that the season you're in, he's doing a work in you. He's holding his promise. He's keeping it. If you read, it, this is why this is important. If you knew the Old Testament, if you spent any time in the scriptures, you would see just how many promises were, were kept through Jesus Christ that came and birthed out of the Old Testament. God has a pretty amazing track record for keeping his promises. See, so we can't just hope in some uncertain thing. We can't just hope in God. We can hope in God in the sense that because we hope in God, we know that his promises are what we're hoping in. His character, he is good. He is worthy. He is trustworthy. We can hope in him. When you read the word hope in 1 Peter 13, it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's that this hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's, my hope is, is in when God has promised that something is going to happen. And then you put your trust in that promise. So Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will come to pass. Our hope isn't, isn't empty, which begs the question for you and I circumstantially, practically in our lives, why do we find ourselves without hope? Why do we keep viewing our hope with God as uncertain? Why, when we pray for something to happen, do we doubt even when we pray? It's because we have lost sight of the promises of Scripture. We, we like the idea of it. We can say it 
up here. Oh, yeah, okay, it makes, it makes sense up here, kind of, and maybe this section doesn't, but we disconnect it from, from our hearts and recognizing that when God promises something, he's not going to not keep it. That's actually, like, he's incapable. It's outside of his character to do that. His character is good. So whatever circumstances you're facing, whether it's a illness or a job change or a relationship or depression, or maybe it's a relationship that's been going for a while and you're just depressed because it's still going, whatever situation it is, your hope is not that the relationship will turn around. Your hope is not that you'll be healthy. Your hope is in God doing what God is in control of. Another reason why we lack hope is because we think we have control. And I can tell you right now, if I'm in control of my life, I do not trust myself. I'm an untrustworthy person to control my life. I will, I will grenade it at some point. I'd rather put my hope and trust in him with my life. See, I think in a lot of ways for a lot of us, we're pretty talented. And for some of us, we've, we've got these hopes. Like, I hope to graduate with this grades, and, and you, you may actually do it. Or I hope to end up with this relationship, and you may actually get that relationship. And it's not that those, getting those grades are bad or, or having that relationship is bad, but in a lot of ways, we see it being done on our own strength. We see us operating and actually achieving these things in our own strength, and then what ends up happening is we find no need for God's hope. I mean, I can hope for God to do this, but really, if I just take the reins, I'm pretty dang good at this. I'll make it happen. And the danger is, is the more we make decisions like that, guys, the further and further and further we get away from his promises. And it's just a matter of time. Let me hear, me, hear me say this. It is just a matter of time. Whether you have surrendered to the Lord yet or not, it is just a matter of time before you are left completely wanting when your hope is in anything but God. It's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, you're going to come to that road where you're going to realize, ah, I, I, I'm empty. I achieved it. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel what it was supposed to feel. Some of you single people are like, man, I'll just be so much happier when I'm married. You're making your spouse a God, and they're a crummy God. Your hope is not to be married. Your hope is to be with God. Your hope is in God. Now, God in his grace and his beauty may bring about that, but really, your marriage has nothing to do with happiness. It has everything to, to be a picture, a perfect picture of Christ in the church. But because you put your hope in being happy in marriage, three years later, when you're not happy, you're like, I'm done with it. Why? Because you are not in God's word. You're not seeing the point of what he's doing. You're not resting and submitted to the promises he's already done and said. One of my most favorite verses is Romans 8.32. He talks specifically in this section, this is one of those areas where you can see a promise that comes from the Lord, but we can see why you and I should really, truly trust God in his promises. You can see it all in this one verse. Romans 8.32 it says, He who did not spare, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, but gave him up for us all, those who submit themselves to life, he gave him up for us, right? How will he not also with him, with Jesus Christ, graciously give us all things? Now, there have been people that have use this scripture as an excuse to get whatever you want. That's, that's fallacy here. But, but the promise that God says, he's going to graciously give us all these things that we need. Imperishable, he goes on to say, imperishable, like life, all these beautiful things. Well, it's not, it's, not, it's not upheld by God just saying that. It's upheld by the fact that he didn't spare his own son. Do you, do you see how the, the God's resting the promise on what's already happened in Jesus Christ? See, so it's not like God's saying, promise me I'm going to do something. He's saying, I promise you, and look what I've already done. I've already completed it in Jesus Christ. So, so why would you doubt me and my promises? I've already made the biggest step in this promise so that you and I can have life and hope. 
and joy. God doesn't just promise us something and hope that it happens. He promises us something and gives the way in which it happens to us. We, we see this over and over and over again in Scripture. God's promise coming to fruition. God's promise coming to fruition. And yet we find ourselves practically on a day-to-day basis not trusting Him. We find ourselves wrestling with that. I, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it is pretty simple here. We see this in the psalmist. It's pretty simple. Our hope is not in anything but God. And you can't really hope in Him if you don't recognize and know His promises because it's really hard because He's still uncertain to you. But when you can see and know and taste and touch His promises that have been upheld for generations for us to see and experience, you can go, man, He is page after page after page. He just keeps holding His promise. I see it here every single day. When we start questioning this, say, I don't know if it's there. I don't know. I mean, God's kind of good. I mean, he saved me, I guess, as if that's not a miracle. As if you actually knowing the Lord isn't an immense miracle. Think about who you were before that. Think about the struggles you have after that. It's an incredible miracle that we can be deemed righteous. We can be clothed in the righteousness of God because of Jesus Christ. He's already accomplished much. And we see it in this psalm. He says this in verse, in verse 50 and then also in 123. He says, in verse 123, he says, My eyes long for salvation, for the fulfillment of your what? Your righteous promises. So it's not like he's, he's hoping that his promises might happen. It's like, I want your righteous promises. I, I long for those. In verse 50, he says it this way. He says, This is my comfort in my afflictions. Now hear that. Hear that. That's a big statement. Your afflictions, your struggles, your depression, your battles, your your, your moments of, of fear or struggles, your afflictions, what can comfort you? What can comfort you? Ready? He tells you right here that your promise gives me life. You're like, well, I'd rather have a blanket and a hug. Why do I need his promises? That's how, that's how silly we get sometimes, is that we don't actually see that we're comforted by his promises because we don't know him in his word. We run from the truth of God's word on a daily basis basis. And when we do that, we find ourselves lacking hope. Um, Just two of the promises that God says that I think are profoundly beautiful to each of us is in Romans 28, or Matthew 28, 20, we we see the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then then this, like, this promise at the end of it that always kind of gets passed over. Jesus speaking to the disciples, ready? He says, I am with you always. You may miss a lot of promises in God's word. I mean a lot. But if you could just hang your hat on one and, and one alone, I feel like this one right here would give us hope that leads to certainty. Ever think about that? Like, like the Lord is with you. The Lord, God, Jesus Christ is with you always. Not sometimes. Not, oh, wait, I take holidays off. Not, no, no. I'm not, like, I am with you always. See, when, when we rest in a promise like that, guys, circumstances may be excruciatingly painful. I mean, like life or death kind of circumstances. But in those moments, we can rest going, I don't like being here. And I don't know if I have the right people here with me in this moment. But the one thing I have with me is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is better than anything else. See, what, what saddens me, guys, is I don't think a lot of us believe that. In the core of who we are, we don't believe that. We don't believe that having him with us is, is the best thing. 
maybe we, we think it, and maybe we know, like, hey, we're in church, we should probably say that. We should maybe even sing about it. But practically, do we really truly believe that promise is for us? Some of you, you haven't submitted yourselves to Jesus as Lord of your life. That's not a promise for you until that happens. That is not a promise for you. That's not a blanket promise. Always with everyone. No, he, he will never leave nor forsake his children. Another promise that I absolutely love is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, according to God's great mercy, okay, he has caused us. He has caused us to be born again to what? A half-dead hope? A circumstantial hope? No, a living hope. Why? Why? Why do we have a living hope? He goes on. How come? Because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Jesus Christ raising from the dead, I can experience a living hope now. He has caused me and you that have submitted your life to Jesus Christ to be born again into a living hope. Guys, this should bring about immense joy in our lives. It saddens me. It saddens me. And how many times I come to scriptures and I read something like that, like, oh, cool, living hope, thanks, Jesus, moving on. Next page, and then, okay, I got this checked off, great. Let that sink in. He's caused you to be born again into a living hope. You have hope. Even when the circumstances don't go the way that you're actually hoping for, even when you don't get the spouse that you're hoping for, or you don't get the family you're hoping for, or you don't get the health you're hoping for, even in those circumstances, even when those things don't happen, even if they're good things you want, you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have that hope. And it's not an uncertain hope. It's not something that can be taken. It's a hope that's yours. I said originally that this God's word brings us comfort. Why? Because when we hope in his promises, it does not matter. It's not a matter of if, but when. When I hope in God's promises and I'm facing a really hard situation, it's not a matter of if he's going to show up. It's just a matter of how he's going to do it and when it's going to happen. How many, just, just think with me for one second, how many of you have been through really, really hard situations and when you look back at it years later and you're talking about it, you're like, yeah, it was really difficult, but then you start thinking about the things and the thought process you had in those dark moments. I really, there are so many times in those dark moments where I'm, my eyes are not on Jesus Christ. They're on, they're, I'm looking at the wind that I can't see because I've taken my eyes off of the hope in Christ. Instead, I put my hope in circumstances. And those, guys, I cannot say this clear enough. I cannot say this many times, too many times. When you hope in anything but God, you'll be left wanting. You'll be left depressed. Fear will creep in. Because what will happen is you'll realize that when you hope, it doesn't always mean it actually happens. And then you'll apply that to our Lord, which is just not true. God does show up. God has shown up. And God is present with you in your darkest hour. And if you have submitted your life to, Lord, to Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've given yourself to him, assuming anything else would be an offense to the promises he has already made and done for you. The, the band's going to come up, and we're going to worship some more. And as they come up and as we get ready to, to sing and worship, I, I want to I challenge you guys or encourage you guys with just a couple things. One is, I don't want to minimize. I'm not in any way trying to minimize your circumstances. My, my bet is some of you are experiencing some very scary things right now, whether it's, whether it's illness or job changes or unknown future or, or you just, you're not sure your marriage is going to make it through. Like Some of you are experiencing some really, really, really hard things. I'm not trying to minimize those circumstances or those things. But if all you're fixated on is those situations and those things, if all you're trying to do is figure out how to fix those things as opposed to putting your hope 
in God and the promises he has, you're, you're in a really dangerous spot to be just overwhelmed with fear. So if you find yourself incredibly fearful, and I mean fearful not of God and a reverential, ah, oh, God, you're amazing fear, but if you find yourself fearful of the future, you find yourself just waylaid by fear, there's a good chance that you've misplaced your hope. There's a really good chance that you've put your hope in something else and it's, and it's left you wanting. We pray, Heavenly Father, forgive us for forgetting the promises that are so clear to us. God, forgive us for being lazy with your word. Forgive us for not following, um, forgive us for not valuing you speaking to us. God, I want to pray for the individual in here that maybe has not given their life to you, a person that maybe uh, has struggled to believe you are true, or they, maybe they've been close to you in proximity through their life, but they never really fully said, Lord, you are mine. I, I surrender my life to you as, as controller, as Lord, as Savior of my life. God, I pray right now that you would show them that everything they have, I mean everything that they have hope in, will leave them, will leave them wanting. Everything they have hope in them will ultimately, sooner or later, leave them unsatisfied. And God, I pray that you'd draw them, draw them to you. God, for us that are in here that have been following you for a long time, that continually wish that maybe we're hoping in things that have nothing to do with you, God, would you reorient our thinking? Would you bring our eyes back to you? Would you help us to fix our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith in Jesus Christ? God, forgive us for running from that. I, I also ask, Lord, in this situation, um, one of the most unique and beautiful promises comes from Philippians where in everything, whatever we're experiencing, no matter what we're doing, when we present ourselves to you, when we, when we come to you with thanksgiving, there's a peace that makes no stinking sense that comes to us, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, for those that are riddled with fear in here, I pray that you'd, you'd instill that peace that comes in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would give every single person in here the hope that you call us to, the hope that you've promised us to have, not in that you may do something, God, but that you are already doing something. And Lord, for those of us that are in that difficult season right now, God, would you help us to have hope in knowing that you're actually finishing the work you began in us, and this may be the way in which you're doing it. We love you, God, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your truth, and we thank you for hope. We thank you for allowing us to have hope, and we thank you for never, ever, ever breaking a promise, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.